what an interesting situation in which we in the United States find ourselves. Some people appear to be eternally optimistic that whatever comes our way, we will prevail. If weather brings a severe storm, we will prevail until the clouds pass and the sun shines again. If we're besieged by high inflation today or this month, well, certainly commerce will correct itself and affordable consumer prices will prevail. If a favorite sports team uh, loses this time, it will prevail and win at some point in the future. Uh, that, that's great. <laughs> Matter of fact, that's what optimism should be, hoping that there will be a brighter future. Some may have significant student loans even, but that hopeful future job will prevail and then the loan can be repaid or maybe the student debt will be forgiven. Eternal optimism, I love it. It's great. In fact, this kind of optimism is what is important to the human spirit and, and for human survival. In fact, without optimism about positive possibilities for the present and the future, humans wouldn't have developed cures for well, various medical ailments, enhanced water purification techniques, medical research into genetics to help develop powerful pharmaceuticals to alleviate once certain deadly diseases, and even the optimism of nations extending an open hand instead of a closed fist of acceptance to a previously enemy state. Well, that's just to name a few. Absolutely wonderful. There is reason to be optimistic. And it is true, it's not all bad, and pardon the pun on that. But you know me, even though things are not all bad, I also have to put a little bit of dose of reality on things. Of course, a recent event of the past seven days compels me to add a dose of reality to that optimism, which doesn't necessarily translate to, well, pessimism. Unfortunately, we've seen the horrors of human behavior in the latest racist-inspired mass shooting in Buffalo, New York. Uh, it happened on May 14, 2022. A mass shooting resulting in 13 victims, 11 of whom were black. Investigations reveal the shooter... Uh, has deep-seated racial animus against blacks and Jews in a belief of, quote, great replacement theory, unquote. Yeah, you know, the idea that there's some master plan by the Jews to import non-whites to America to eventually replace and overtake, uh, well, white people, you know, mainly white males, I guess, but just white people. There are those who discuss longing for the days of... And I, <laughs> Even I'm saying this and it's like, wow, there really are people who have espoused longing for the days of America's legacy heritage. What in the world does that mean? Well, you can figure that out. Legacy? Is that the legacy of what? Jim Crow? Uh, the legacy of what it was when women couldn't vote? What is this whole legacy thing? Or the legacy when you can basically go to Native American brothers and sisters land and just take what they have and kill a few while you're doing that for, you know, while you worship on Sunday and kill on Monday. I don't know what all that means, but there's a certain segment demographic saying we want to go back to legacy heritage and not great replacement. Well, this is a sad state of affairs, is it not? Even as our society progresses, there's still a heavy dose of vitriol and hatred of black and brown people. Yeah, Jews, Asians, and other groups. It's quite prominent and sad. To be clear, racial hatred is illogical and is an emotional issue. 
Often there are people who will sometimes say a shooter of uh, one of these massacres, might as well call it what it is, but if the shooter is white, they'll say, well, gosh, man, that's, that's some emotional and psychological issues. And it's not about race because, see, when you say that, it's sort of like puts it in a different light because if you got one group that's espousing all this racist dogma, dog whistles, ritually turning, actually they're turning into to foghorns and, and bullhorns and everything else. Okay, it's nice to say, well, yeah, that's not racist because, well, how can you say it's not racism when the guy's making it very clear that they that's this is what he espouses, this is what he believes, this is what he subscribes to and makes it very clear. Now, yes, there is always some emotional issue when any human, I don't care what it is, when any human can just go into a place and just slaughter people, whether you be soldiers on the not even on the battlefield, going into a school or lobbing rockets into a highly populated area of just civilians. Yeah, there's something wrong when people just do it, but we do it anyway. But when a person says, I hate X, Y, Z, and I hate this, and then all of a sudden it's one particular group and go, that's a white guy. So, man, we don't want to come up there and say that's racism because, well, maybe our network or maybe our particular group sort of espouses that great replacement theory. I don't want to get the backlash on that. So we just say, hey, this is not racism. This is just some emotional issues. No, sometimes you got to call a spade a spade and forgive the pun on that, right? Okay, to be clear, it is not logical. We know that, the racial hatred. Often there are people who are, will sometimes say, well, you know, the shooter, you know, he sort of wanted to be about race, but that really wasn't what the case was. He was just mixed up. Okay, why? Okay, well, there is no why when we try to avoid the reality that a certain demographic in our society actually perpetuates the I must hate or you must hate because you are the other. And we want to get back to something, this legacy something. That's what this animus is all about. And granted, it's not happening in the tune of like hundreds of thousands of people being killed because of the race in America. But believe me, at some point, we're going to have to go on and deal with this. Okay, the piper's going to come calling because how long can we continue to go on with at least once every two months or once every six months or even more frequent when somebody goes into a church or a place, whatever, and says, you know something, I got what I think what I'm going to do today, I'm grab a cup of coffee, uh, maybe eat some scones. And yeah, okay, I got my gun. I, 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 got, a, I got a bulletproof uh, flak vest on. And I, I, today, I think I'm just going to go and kill a few Asians. I, I hate them anyway. I've, I've been subscribing to all this stuff. I'm watching certain things on different media. And I'm just going to go out and kill them. Or I'm just going to go out and kill a few Muslims. Or I'm just going to go out and kill a few blacks. And heaven forbid if somebody starts saying, well, I'm just going to go out and kill a few whites over here at, uh, say, this XYZ place because that's where they frequent. Is this what we're going to come up to? Is this who we are going to be? Literally, where it just becomes normal, where I'm angry, I'm disaffected, or maybe I'm not angry, but I'm, I think I'm angry. I'm going to self-radicalize, or maybe my parents come home every day saying, what about those people? Look what they're doing. And you start saying, and they go, yeah, you're right. You should hate those people. And all of a sudden, guess what you got? You got a shooter. It's really very, very interesting, and it's a sad interesting. And there's no shortage of cable media internet media and print media to keep this sad state of demonizing the other to its ultimate, literally almost predictable conclusion. Hatred expressed at the point of a gun. 
picture or imagine this if you will. You're attending religious services at your house of worship or synagogue or mosque or church or you're working at a nail salon where these, this particular salon just happens to be majority or Asian or you're shopping at a grocery store. Then you hear shots fired, screams echoes off the walls and then you utter a silent or real voice word and you wonder why. And that's it. Again, racial hatred is sickening, unreasonable, and corrosive to our society. It's corrosive to any society. It just doesn't have to be America. We have to acknowledge there is probably a whole big component about this deep-seated hatred of this kind. Okay, And it's not that we're born with it. Oh, for Pete's sake, of course. There's no such thing as a person is born with this innate hatred bone that just sort of happens to expand as we get older. No, these things are all learned. A matter of fact, love and hatred, emotions, those are all learned character traits that we pick up. And it's sort of sad because some of that stuff is nurtured. It's the hatred can be nurtured by family, friends, or even self-radicalization by different media that you and I just, you know, we were talking about that. And it could destroy the aspirational nature of our American democracy and the aspirational progressive nature of our constitution when it doesn't become we the people anymore. It becomes we, whoever I hate, that's what's going to happen. And as with any country that has a disappointing history of oppressing people, and yes, even America's past practices of slavery, Asian exclusion, brutalization of Native American brothers and sisters, well, if we don't ensure that the history isn't forgotten, then we will continue just permitting these kinds of horrible acts to continue and just go about our business the next day. Speaking out against racial animus, and by the way, I don't care if it's about black people dogging white people, white people dogging Asians, Asian dogging this, it doesn't make any difference. That whole thing about we must make it a point, almost a mantra, smile in your face today at work, smile at your face maybe at the coffee shop if we're all going out, then when I get with my group, I'm talking about you like a dog only because of your ethnicity or your religion. And you think that stuff doesn't happen, of course you know it does. Who knows? Could even be happening in your family. But it could actually help destroy our society. Oh no, it won't happen overnight. Probably won't even happen during my lifetime. Maybe not even your lifetime. Maybe not even your children's lifetime. But you know, as we continue forward and nothing happens, well, they will only just become more frequent, more violent, to the point where we don't know where it will stop. And besides the hordes of these racist-inspired assaults and murders, it's the sadness that we quickly move on from these incidents within a few days in the news cycle. You know, someone can call the optimism, it can be called optimism because we're not wallowing in despair and hopelessness over these killings. That's great. We want to be optimistic. You just don't want to wallow in sadness and hurt and frustration in perpetuity, do we not? No, of course not. Indeed, maybe that is a good part of the human spirit. We have a tendency to move on. In fact, if we don't move on, we can't grow. Yeah, that's a kind of healthy resilience in a way, is it not? Unfortunately, this all too frequent killings, racial killings, well, they're making us numb to the point that we get surprised for a day. Then it's back to business as usual the next day 
or certainly the day after. Matter of fact, we're just laughing and it's great. And in fact, maybe part of that is to deal with the horror that we think this can't be happening. Because you have to admit, you know, a long time ago, the whole Dylan Roof thing and all that, or, you know, you go to the church, you worship with the black worshipers for like an hour, 45 minutes, gets up, takes out his pistol, kills nine people. These are the very same people that welcomed him into their midst, murders them all. And of course, the shock and the horror, you just, this can't be happening. You literally cannot take it in. I couldn't, you can't. Most people can't, any decent human being can, unless you're wrapped up into the whole, you know, white nationalism thing and we got to hate the other. And then you're probably thinking, boy, that was a very smart move. Maybe I need to go and get my own to do the same thing. But most Americans don't think that way. I would assume, regardless of your racial background or ethnicity, they're horrified by it, disgusted and saddened by it. Wow. Well, good thing is that parents and teachers thought leaders, politicians, business people, and lay people. Please be inspired by and explain and embrace the humanity of all people, regardless of race, ethnicity, nationality, religion, gender, or sexual orientation. Well, I've decided to repost my previous episode that I published back in November last year, and it was titled, Not Another Discussion About Race? Yes, Another Discussion. It just seems like the right time to revisit this discussion. If you have a moment or two, please give a listen. Hello, I'm Stuart Devine, and welcome to this special short episode of It's Not All Bad. You know, I've been thinking the subject of race and race relations and racial animus it's been a subject in the United States, of course, for decades. Over the last year, two years even, it's even become more pronounced. As you recall, on my previous episode titled Some Challenges of 2021, it was a chat with my guest co-host, Mike Ma. We did that on October 23rd, 2021. Mike and I touched on a number of serious issues. We discussed income and Medicare inequality, the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic, loneliness, consequences of social media, and remote work. Indeed, Mike and I spoke openly about what many people are discussing over coffee, over a meal, and with family and friends. However, a few listeners brought to my attention we either inadvertently or purposely avoid discussions about another significant social ill that continues feeding suspicions in America, and that's the topic of race and racial animus with all of the perceived and actual negative impact upon our society. Indeed, this kind of animus is experienced in many societies in the world, not just the United States. And please, before some listeners either mute the volume or turn off this episode, my intent isn't to shame any race or to play victim because of race. I'm an American of African descent. I acknowledge that bigotry and racial animus is real. I've certainly been on the receiving end of this kind of behavior. But let's back up and define a couple of issues. There are those Americans who identify themselves from various ethnicities or race, whether they select Asian, Hispanic, white, native peoples, in various degrees in this identification spectrum. Race and ethnicity are social constructs. Webster's Dictionary defines social construct as, quote, an idea that has been created 
and accepted by the people in the society, unquote. Indeed, I wish the social construct idea that we recognize difference, but as a society and as a people, we accept and embrace them as a norm and not as a distractor from the greater good that we can achieve as a whole. Unfortunately, that isn't the case. As with most societies on this planet, America has its share of racial animus, especially against black people since its founding and the origins of slavery in what some would say is this country's original sin, with which I fully agree. Fortunately, this original sin doesn't exist in America anymore, the original sin of slavery. Indeed, when people, especially black people, say nothing has changed, maybe this is a relative statement. You think? Maybe? Although a follow-up question that's sometimes replied with, it's relevant to what if it is relative? Relative what? To the 1800s? To the times of the 1940s? Relative to Jim Crow? Or relative to separate but equal schools? Was it relative to the time of lynching of hundreds of black people? or relative to federal law prohibiting blacks from voting, segregated drinking fountains, segregated public bathrooms, the 1921 Tulsa massacre, during which white mobs murdered dozens of black citizens, and the state's second largest African-American community, which was dubbed Black Wall Street, had been burned to the ground. Is it relative to maybe redlining that was the discriminatory practice of denying services, typically financial and especially in real estate to residents of certain areas based on their race or ethnicity, or maybe relative to the civil rights movement of the 1960s or relative to the post-World War II GI Bill that had wonderful potential to lift black veterans and their families to a higher economic situation and even pass on wealth to the next generation. But this failed on both counts, this whole GI Bill thing back then in the day, the 1947. But this failed because what? Financial institutions, cities, states, educational institutions, well, they were regulating to a certain degree to whom and how this wonderful program would apply. Or is it relative to the election of the first black president of the United States so that many could say we live in a post-racial society? You know, we need to feel good when Barack Obama was, was elected. And what happened, of course, post-election, not post-Barack Obama during his presidency, but post-election, there was immediate backlash from those who found a way to use his ascension to the highest office in the land to bring out the worst in such a large demographic of our society? Or is it relative to a time when black elementary and high school students would pledge allegiance to the flag, reciting these beautiful words, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, not to the man, but to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all, unquote. The Pledge of Allegiance. Now, can you imagine black children reciting those words in the 50s and the 60s and maybe their parents seeing and hearing them during various school assemblies and functions, yet with sadness in their eyes knowing those words ring hollow because liberty and justice for all, quote unquote, may be only applied when many were just us in jails and prisons. And please, we're not going to let the entertainment industry off the hook in those years, especially 1900s through the early 60s. 
This is especially a period when images, yeah, that's right, images of blacks were portrayed as, you know, slovenly, uneducated, shifty, undesirable, as a people unworthy of respect and equality. Movies often referred to black men as boys, black women as girls. Heaven forbid these human beings would be addressed as men or gentlemen or as women and ladies. And even when some kind of awakening did happen, then it was on to black themed films that usually portrayed blacks as criminals, pimps, and drug pushers. This era of black exploitation films was designed to appeal supposedly to black audiences in the early 70s in the horrible belief that black movie goers wouldn't or couldn't accept blacks in non-stereotypical roles. Really? Really? You're trying to say a people that had been oppressed for some reason we can only accept them portraying blacks in such a horrible way. Of course, some would agree with some merit that Hollywood was able to make a profit regardless of the potential negative self-image impact these kinds of films could have on the black community and knowingly feeding the already biased image that many whites already had of black people in general. Yes, it's depressing to know that these things happen. Some actions were perpetrated with official backing, legal or otherwise, by city governments, state governments, uncivil. Notice I'm not going to say civil society back then, but uncivil society, financial and educational institutions, and even, as we said, the entertainment industry. However, there is another side to this equation. And let there be no mistake. The laws of science and nature dictate for any action there is an opposite and awful, often equal reaction. There can be no movement going forward or backwards without the opposite happening. Well, this is the case obviously in racial tensions and animus during those many years and even during the current times. However, the U.S. Constitution on the other hand is the positive in this equation as a living document that has been amended over the years to reflect what our society should be, although not always in practice because, well, the document itself is an independent document, but it doesn't have independent power or physical being to enforce anything. Indeed, it's the incredible forward-leaning document and human concept that permits citizens to progress in positive endeavors because of our gentleman's agreement. Therefore, it's a living document, this constitution, but there's a societal sort of gentleman's agreement, if I can use those, that says we are going to accept that this is a, law, a, a living document. We're going to accept that we can move forward with this document. I think that's really important in our case in the United States of America. So you see, we, the people are the arbiters in deciding whether this document called the Constitution will contain teeth and live up to its creed or merely, merely be a document that looks nice in a temperature controlled glass enclosure merely for tourists to view. One thing is for certain, this Constitution is absolutely breathtaking when all considered, don't you think? Even with all of our flaws, it is a living document. But you know something that's really interesting. Gone are the days of officially sanctioned segregated schools, you know, separate water fountains, requirements for blacks to sit in the back of the bus. We have passage of fair housing laws. Racially integrated communities exist all across America. Racial discrimination in hiring is illegal. Hotels and other commercial lodging facilities are prohibited from denying its services to paying black customers. Gone are the days when black travelers could obtain and often had to refer to, quote, the Negro motorist book 
or as you know, the Negro Motorist Green Book, which was a travel guide published, you know, circa 1936 to 1967 during the segregation era in the United States that identified businesses that would accept black customers. Remember, the Green Book is not merely just a movie. This guide actually existed. And let's move on. How about this? Thousands of black veterans have and will continue to obtain VA guaranteed housing loans and excellent educational benefits at colleges and universities. Even without the GI Bill, thousands of young people of color are attending various state and private higher educational institutions in the thousands each year and graduating. This is absolutely wonderful. To say nothing has changed and say, well, it's relative. Nah, it's not all relative. As a matter of fact, on July 30th, 1965, President Lyndon Johnson signed into law the landmark Medicare and Medicaid bill, which ended official racial discrimination in the hospital industry. <laughs> yes, by using the almighty dollar, right? In other words, by threatening to withhold federal dollars from any hospital discriminating against people because of race or color. To say, well, everything's all relative, not necessarily. There have been some good. In relative terms, most commercially significant companies are integrated and attempting to do more to attract diverse talent. This is happening now, and it has actually been happening uh, over a couple of decades, even if not before then. I say this not to gloss over or pretend America is post-racial. Of course we're not. We're human beings. Indeed, this is a nation of human beings who actually aspire to be better than what we are. And isn't that the way it should be? As such, as such, we all, I repeat, all of us, bring various biases to the table, including ethnic, religious, and racial prejudices. Yes, this includes blacks, whites, Asians, and all other human socially constructed identity or affinity groups. Unfortunately, that's who we are as a species. And I do say unfortunately because wouldn't it be nice if we really didn't have all those biases that actually help divide us and not unite us? Still, to say that all whites are inherently racist or all blacks are inherently victims and without any animus, well, it defines us in a way that, well, sort of continuously compels us forward in the blame game. For example, now listen to this now. For example, some whites say and believe that blacks in poverty are there because that's who blacks are and they accept lower standards of living. Well, those are myths that some whites use to justify support for their racial animus and for oppression. Now, let's flip that coin around now. When some blacks say or believe all whites are guilty of oppressing blacks or inherently incapable of accepting us or that nothing has changed for the better in American society for black people, then that's also a limiting factor. And if we're not careful, it can actually be a self-fulfilling one on an individual basis and societal basis for both different groups when we have these, just hang on to these beliefs. Indeed, both viewpoints of such sad and impactful thinking disrupt meaningful discourse and does play a role in inhibiting progress at times. Even so, America has progressed in overall racial acceptance over the decades. We cannot lose sight of that even as groups are working to overcome our current state of affairs in race relations. Indeed, if anyone, black or white, from the current year of 2021, that says nothing has changed in America in terms of black economic and social improvements, it's possible Dr. King, if he were alive today, would be surprised at such a statement 
in all of its forms, especially considering what he and other civil rights leaders, as well as what the common everyday black person had to endure during those many years, including leading up to the 60s. Unfortunately, there remains a sad flip side to this reality. I promise not to delve too deeply, but I'm compelled to do so to keep this real. We're not out of the woods yet. So let's go down some of this stuff. On the night of February 26, 2012, in Sanford, Florida, Trayvon Martin, a 17-year-old African-American high school student, was walking in his own neighborhood, not bothering anyone, and he was shot and killed by a white vigilante in the neighborhood. When the perpetrator called 911 before confronting Trayvon Martin, the 911 operator told the man to not approach him and leave him alone. Of course, this person did so anyway, shot and killed Trayvon Martin. The individual was acquitted on all charges. On November 22, 2014, Tamir E. Rice, we're talking about a 12-year-old African-American boy, was killed in Cleveland, Ohio by a 26-year-old white police officer. Rice was carrying a replica toy gun it's something else. But the interesting part is that when the policeman arrived, literally as he got out of the car, he shot Tamir Rice. Please note that a caller reported that a male, a boy, was pointing a pistol at random people. At the beginning of the call and again in the middle, the caller said to 911, the pistol, it's probably fake. Toward the end of the two-minute call, the caller states that he is probably a juvenile. The officer that killed Tamir Rice was never indicted. On July 17, 2014, a New York police officer confronts and places Eric Garner, a 43-year-old African-American father of six, well, placed him in an illegal chokehold for allegedly selling illegal cigarettes. Uh, excuse me, Garner absolutely said, I can't breathe. It's on the tape. Of course, the officer continued the chokehold, which of course killed him. On June 17, 2015 in South Carolina, a self-professed white supremacist shot and killed nine black people during their Bible study, which they invited him to sit in on, in which he did at Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church. The killer shot and killed these nine people in the hopes of provoking a race war. On July 6, 2016, Philando Castile, a black man and school cafeteria worker, was pulled over by a St. Paul, Minnesota police officer after being misidentified as a robbery suspect. He was then shot and killed by an officer during the traffic stop. Officer was acquitted of all charges. On September 6, 2018, Botham Jean, a 26-year-old black man who was an accountant, was shot and killed by an off-duty Dallas police officer when she entered his apartment as he was sitting on his sofa eating ice cream. On Sunday afternoon, February 23, 2020, Ahmad Arbery, a 25-year-old black man, was out jogging near his home in Brunswick, Georgia, when two white males confronted him, pulled up next to, and shot Ahmad at least two times and killed him right there on the spot. Ahmad was unarmed, broke no laws, did nothing wrong. On the evening of May 25, 2020, 
a white Minneapolis police officer, well, killed George Floyd, an unarmed black man for allegedly, and we have to use the terms allegedly, passing a $20 bogus bill. He kneeled on his neck for almost 10 minutes. On April 11, 2021, Dante Wright, a 20-year-old black man, was shot and killed by a Brooklyn Center, Minnesota police officer. The officer mistakenly used her pistol instead of her taser. Now understand, all of these killings were happening, including Tamir Rice, Trayvon Martin. There were no riots in the street. There were no buildings being burned. There was none of that. There was a request for action and justice. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. But when it came down to the George Floyd murder, that was a different story. When I think a lot of society and not just black people said, maybe enough is enough and these issues need to be addressed. These sad and unacceptable, partially or fully racially motivated homicides are not indicative of all police officers or police departments and is in no way an indictment of white people as a demographic. In fact, we know that most whites, of course, would never even fathom one doing something like that or agreeing something like that should be done. Full stop. Still, from an average black person's perception of these incidents, including mine, they are unsettling and it enhances feelings that there are different values of life based on race, but especially when it comes to black people. For white people, Please know the racial divide in America is there, and it is insidious. Maybe there are some whites in their closed circle of other white people and friends who say, quote, what do black people want? Why are they always complaining? Black people are being shot because they're doing something wrong. Or even say something like, quote, I want to understand more and even have conversations with black people, but I'm afraid to say anything for fear that I will say something wrong or my words will be misinterpreted as racist, even though that's not my intent. There may be others who just, well, want all of this racial stuff just to go away and they will willfully avoid interacting with black people just to prevent any conflict. And of course, this is sad. It may or may not be easy for you but as a white person, please resist the urge to justify non-engagement with black people. Many, if not most black people, welcome discussions and meaningful relationships with white people and other ethnicities. We see it all over America. Let's not act like all of a sudden there's this massive uh, segregation going on and we don't interact. We do. You do. I do. So many people do in the workplace. Maybe not in our neighborhoods. It all depends. And by the way, that's okay. So long as there's no animus being practiced and no exclusion being practiced. Yes, black people can help increase white people's understanding about the roots of black disappointment and what's happening, even as black people celebrate black success. Don't fear the various political winds to drive you to fear some imagined belief that black people can take over America. That's unfounded on every level. Do you really think black people can do this? For one, black people never had and don't have the social, economic, or political power to attain anything of the sort now or in the foreseeable future. Unfortunately, it's a truism that the societal constructs do progress and permit growth of the black community, but at a lower weight and by far from equal economic and legal playing fields. 
Don't fear the various political winds to drive you to fear some imagined belief that black people can take over America. That's unfounded on every level. And by the way, even if that's the way the society was going, that one group provided, it is leveling the playing field and anyone can succeed. Well, to a certain degree, who cares? I can tell you now from my own personal uh, belief, whether it's Asian, black, native peoples, which I really, my native brothers and sisters, but native peoples, who's ever the president at the top? If everything is a level playing field, we're all having the same kinds of opportunities, so be it. <laughs> so be it. Still, for those of you who accept black peoples and all peoples inalienable rights to justice and the pursuit of happiness, we know it's sincere and comes from a good place. For those white people who prefer to actively hang on to their outmoded and societally destructive racism and foment the same, you are helping to unravel the fabric of this country you supposedly wish to preserve. Please understand I know it's not black people's obligation to abrogate whiteful societal gains to assuage those fears for those who wish to regress to a totally unrealistic depicted past instead of looking forward to an inclusive future as a society. For black people, welcome discussions and even sincere questions from whites who want to understand your thoughts and your feelings. Avoid joining some who advocate, quote, it's not my job to teach white people about how I feel or what does it feel like to be black in America, unquote. <laughs> Careful now, it can be both ways, right? On the one hand, rightfully wanting and even demanding white people understand who we are and the history of our culture, but then become offended when approached with engaging questions that are sincere, such as who are you and what is your experience and what is it you wish me to understand as a white person? Again, it's not our job or profession to do so, but it is an informal social contract of sorts to be an active part of a solution to help bring about understanding and meaning in our human relations. Also, generally speaking, isn't a black person in a better position to explain the black experience? Whether it's, well, about hair, clothing, history, music, entertainment, military service, work in corporate America, even family life. If not a black person to explain it, then who? Although woke white progressives, and I use woke in a positive framework. I'm not one of those that says, oh, wokeness is horrible. No, 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 no. People need to wake up. But again, although woke white progressives often mean well, but they are not in the best position to do these explanations on behalf of black people and about the experiences? Of course, because their reality is not ours and to a certain degree, well, frankly, our reality is not theirs. By the way, and this is important to you now, it's not necessary for interactions with other races and ethnicities to always include discussions about these issues, about race. If you are a white person, and you're enjoying the frequent company of other whites, do you always want the conversation to be about race and racism? Similarly, if you're a black person in a similar situation where you're getting with, together with other black people, do you always want the conversation to be about race? It can't be anything else. It can't be about children. Both sides, by the way. It can't be about jobs. It can't be about the coffee you're drinking or girlfriends or boyfriends. I mean, there's just so much more that we have in common. Unfortunately, there's still a gap in that commonality. 
Uh, that's a reality. We can't deny that. Also, this is a point I think really is important. There is no need for blacks and whites to justify or apologize for their racial identity. There's no person who was, is, and will be born who selected or can select what their ethnic or racial construct is at birth. And that's no one. We should stop trying to pretend as if somebody needs to be guilty because they're Asian or because they're black or because they're white. There's no need for any of that. We may need to feel guilty because of our actions. Let's not get away from that fact. Indeed, interactions shouldn't be based on this social construct that we're all in. In other words, one must be the victim because, well, you have to be black, so you got to be the victim. Or you're white, so you got to be the oppressor. That's something that's extremely destructive. <laughs> Unless, in fact, you are the victim. And yes, in fact, you are the oppressor. It's all individual to a certain degree, is it not? To all peoples, the common thread of treating each other with genuine understanding, courtesy, respect, kindness, and acceptance, not tolerance, don't tolerate me, accept who I am. But don't play this, well, we don't tolerate it. We will tolerate blacks, and we're going to tolerate Asians. We're going to tolerate. No, don't give me that tolerance. If that's all you're talking about, tolerating, you can throw that in the trash. I'm looking for acceptance. Okay, granted, this will not eliminate all suspicions. We know that. But this will go a long way in helping America continue its long and never-ending path in trying to realize the wonderful aspirational nature of our democracy in those inspiring words, and I love this, okay? We, the people, and I'm quoting here, we, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. Do not laugh at those words. It's like, oh, no, it's only applying for those people. No, no. If you're black, those words apply to you. And if you're native brother and sister, they apply to you because it's not like everybody can get away. And if you're white, they apply to you. And Asian, we can go on and on. These words are living words because it does allow us to grow and to continue realizing our aspirational nature. Yeah, I concede they're very lofty. And none of what I said here on this episode will change anything. It won't change maybe the way you think. It won't change lives. It may or may not move the needle maybe in one person. Still, the words though. Ah, I love it. Promoting the general welfare. That means all of us. And secure the blessings of liberty, which is freedom, which we all have the right to achieve. Well, yeah. When we all push and pull in the right direction, well, we're going to make some inroads just like we already have. Of course, there's still so much more that needs to be done. And the struggle isn't necessarily over. However, we are in this together. I do hope you found this episode interesting, maybe somewhat enlightening, and you haven't tuned me out. Until the next time, take care.